Good morning. This is Renita Malhotra Hora and here we are once again with Money for Nothing. U.S. stocks climbed to a record high as the Institute of Supply Management corrected factory data. Apple shares slid even as the company introduced new features at its developers conference. And the Obama administration has unveiled ambitious plans to cut pollution from U.S. power plants to ease global warming. We'll be discussing all of these topics and more today on Money for Nothing with our various guests, starting with our U.S. economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Also joining us uh, is our regular guest uh, to talk about Hong Kong markets and Asian markets, Francis Lun. And uh, for a look at emerging markets, we'll be joined by Alicia Garcia Herrero, who is the chief economist for emerging markets at BBVA. Then we'll take a look at employment practices in Japan with Jason Klenfield of Bloomberg in Tokyo. Well, markets got an unexpected lift when the Institute of Supply Management said that its Purchasing Managers Index of U.S. Manufacturing Activity rose in May to 55.4 from 54.9 in April, rather than slowing to 53.2 as it was first reported. Wall Street stocks had fallen on the initial report in the morning, but hours later, ISM corrected the data after economists questioned the PMI decline. Tom Tucci, the head of of U.S. Treasury trading at CIBC World Markets speaks about the risks of trading on economic data. The lesson you have is you shouldn't be trading off of one particular number. You're looking for a series of numbers uh, over the course of time to develop a trend. So that's the danger in you know these algorithm trading models that trade off of headlines and instantaneous news. So you're still asking yourself what's the fund- fundamental story behind the bond market, and uh, sometimes these create opportunities rather than. Um, the opposite. The Dow finished just over a tenth of a percent higher at 16,743. The S&P 500 also hit a new record high that was up just marginally to 1924, while the Nasdaq dropped a tenth of a percent to 4,237. Well, Apple shares slid over half a percent despite an announcement by the U.S. tech giant at its annual developers conference that mobile sales devices are now in excess of 800 million. We've now sold well over 800 million iOS devices, and each of the categories of devices has set its own significant sales record in the past year iPod Touch has passed 100 million units. iPad has passed 200 million units. And iPhone has passed a half a billion units. This is incredible. But what's even more impressive is how many new customers to Apple that iOS devices has brought to us. Over 130 million customers who bought an iOS device in the past 12 months was buying their first Apple device. 
Yeah, that's uh, Chief Executive Tim Cook at the company's annual developers conference. He said that many of the first-time buyers were switching from devices powered by Google's Android operating system. But there was little on the product development front other than a new operating system for its Mac computers and mobile devices, uh, something that includes uh, an app called a Health Kit, which lets people monitor their health, and another one called a Home Kit, which includes home automation elements so that people can control locks, garage doors and lights from their devices. The Obama administration has unveiled ambitious plans to cut pollution from U.S. power plants to help ease global warming. The proposals include a 30% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions over 25 years. Business groups have criticized the plans, but Gina McCarthy from the Environmental Protection Agency says that doing nothing is not an option. Although we limit pollutants like mercury, arsenic, sulfur, currently there are no limits on carbon pollution from power plants, our nation's largest sources. For the sake of our family's health and for our kids' future, we have a moral obligation to act on climate. Well, let's go now to Barry Wood, our U.S. economics correspondent who joins us by phone. Barry, are you there? Yes, indeed I am, Renita. Good morning, good evening, whatever the case may be. (laughs) Well, good morning to you, and it's a delight to have you as the host of the program. Well, it's a delight to be a host. I know we always miss Brian's familiar and, you know, heartwarming voice, but I'm going to try and warm everybody's hearts today. Hey. (laughs) You're doing it. (laughs) Okay. So, Barry, the markets are gearing up for some pretty high-profile economic data this week. Um, Let's see. We've got the jobs reports due out later in the week. We've got, um, you know, investors waiting patiently to see what the ECB does when it concludes its meeting on Thursday. Uh, you know, what it's going to do about deflation, if, if that is an issue. And um, the job, uh, excuse me, the manufacturing report on Monday has already provided a dose of excitement. So fill us in on uh, sort of what's happening in the U.S. What, what are people feeling? Well, I think you're right. The big ones are in Europe, the European Central Bank meeting on Thursday. They're expected to cut rates. That's going to have a big impact. It could send the euro lower. And then the jobs report on Friday here in the States, uh, that had, uh, you know, such a fantastic uh, report just uh, 30 days ago, 288,000 jobs created in April. The expectation, Renita, is it won't be quite so good in May, but a good number certainly would send the stock market higher. What you mentioned about the in, industrial supply managers, uh, the, the index that came out today, this was a, a kind of farce in a sense, that they forgot to put in the, the seasonal adjustment into their figures. So initially, and you know, markets trade on this, as your previous guest mentioned, that uh, it showed a decline. And then came the news an hour or so later, oh no, it was a mistake, it's really up. And this is an important measure of industrial activity in the States. And then came a second revision, but the markets liked it. So I think uh, it's jobs and ECB this week that are the big ones. And so what really, you know, would be the impact? I mean, let's take the ECB first. Uh, The ECB wants to lower to negative interest rates. Um, Give me your opinion on that, Barry. Well, I think, first of all, if they do that, the deposits that central banks of the 18 countries in the eurozone keep in frankfurt at headquarters they're going to have to pay a interest rate to actually park their money with the central bank 
Now, this is unprecedented in a way. This is the deposit rate. Now, at the height of the crisis in Greece, there were something like 900 billion euros deposited by the member banks in Frankfurt. But now that number is down to something like uh, just 35 billion. That's a psychological signal. So mm. I'm not sure that that's the big one. The big one would probably be a cut in their repo rate, which is their short-term borrowing rate, which currently stands as low as 0.3%. And mm. if they cut that by 50%, that would take it down to almost zero, 0 0.15. This is a sign, Renita, that the European Central Bank is very worried about Japanese-style deflation, mm. a falling price level that they can't get out of. They want an inflation rate of 2%, and the current inflation rate throughout the zone is 07 I see. But does this fix the issue? I mean, I guess that's the big question. Well, I don't think it does, because, in fact, the structural issues have not really been addressed. Greece is better. It's out of the headlines. Spain is better out of the headlines. Italy as well. But too many economists who know a lot and really study this, as well as people inside the ECB, say, hold it. You've still got some fundamental structural problems. You have to have a common fiscal policy to make this thing work. I think the fear of deflation really reflects that nothing is happening in terms of growth mm. in Europe. Banks are not lending. There is a credit squeeze throughout Europe. And the ECB has been trying, cajoling, speaking about the banks doing something for a long time without any result. Mr. Draghi, the head, said last month that they would take action on Thursday. That's why this meeting is important. Whether it will work, no one knows. Mm, so it all really does go back to fundamentals then, doesn't it? It does indeed. So what about the U.S. jobs report? Why are we expecting uh, you know, a, a lower figure in May? Well, I can't answer that specifically because the nuances of that job report and the two different surveys that are used uh, reflect seasonal adjustment and we came off this heavy, really bad winter in the northeast of the U.S. and then there was this surprise jump and upward revisions of previous months. So there was an expectation that that was in one sense the April number of 288,000 was an artificial figure. If that's the case, nonetheless, 200,000 would be a fantastic report. 180,000 would be a fantastic report. The, the important thing is the trend line, and the trend line on U.S. jobs is up. So we've had sluggish growth. Listeners know that in the first quarter of this year, we had actually negative growth on an annual basis. The economy clearly is picking up now. We're in the North American spring, and we need a good jobs report. A disappointing report, something below, say, 100,000, I think could have a very negative impact on the markets. But as you mentioned, record highs on most indexes. So, you know, the barometer of investor sentiment is pretty good. It is pretty good indeed. And are we expecting this trend to perhaps continue into the later months of the year, Barry? That's my own expectation, Renita. I think things are picking up. I think housing is good. We're going to get a jobs report on Friday, but we get an auto sales report uh, in within 24 hours. That's expected to show 16 million sales on an annual basis. So I think the U.S. economy is picking up, and mm. I expect it to continue to gain strength. All the numbers look good. It might be time to uh, put your money in the U.S. We'll be asking <laughs> Francis Lund next. <laughs> Barry, thanks so much for joining us this morning. 
So uh, look at uh, the markets here, here, you know, closer to home. The Nikkei has opened up 1%. It is currently at 15,087. Uh, Australia's ASX index is also up 0.1% at uh, 5505. And Seoul's Kospi is up 0.29% at 2007. Well, we welcome to the studio now Francis Lun of uh, GEO. Francis, good morning. Good always, morning. Always great to see you. Yes. So after all of Barry's uh, sort of exciting news there, what yep. do we have to say for things closer to home? Well, uh, I, I don't think we will expect a wild uh, session today, but the market will go up. I think the most important thing is that the uh, I think last week uh, uh, China announced the official PMI index, mm-hmm. which was 50.8. So what it showed was a three-month uh, rising trend. I think the trend is very important. And this stuff's tail with the HSBC PMI index, or, which also also show a rising trend. So I think uh, uh, the uh, the consensus is that the China's manufacturing is gradually improving, not by a whole lot, but 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 it's on the right track, and 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 also there are signs that the central bank is ready to uh, relax uh, some money supply, uh, 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 especially uh, direct some lending toward the real estate sector because the real estate sector is really being hit. Very hard. Uh, I just went to China over the weekend and witnessed the ghost cities and all that. I think all the developers are really crying out for help, and they 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 need a boost to avoid bankruptcy, basically. So, how do we see that, Francis? Uh, Especially since you were there. I mean, are, are projects uh, just at a standstill? Yeah. Well, I I went to a a, a one of the commercial buildings in Shenyang, which was uh, which is being built by one of the listed companies in Hong Kong, and discovered that they haven't done anything hmm. uh, for the past year, and the building is still uh, still stands unfinished. And even though it has topped out, but uh, they they just did not carry out any decoration work or uh, pan, or wall panel work. So, so because there's such an enormous oversupply that uh, 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 they they see no sense in putting or uh, pouring all, more money in because mm. that the, the building will stand empty, and and also. Uh, Another property that's uh, being developed by one of the Hong Kong developers, uh, they have a huge development in near downtown Shenyang. Mm-hmm. And the development has something like uh, a big shopping center and uh, five huge buildings. Mm-hmm. And they're only building uh, five towers and they're building only one tower and leaving the, the rest uh, 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 untouched. Uh, untouched. Untouched. No, well, they haven't built anything. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so they really show the the scale of the uh, of the glut in the mainland uh, 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 properties. So, so I think the uh, 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 if the developers go bust, the banks will suffer. So, I think uh, the central bank has to ease some uh, uh, liquidity there. 
and supply some liquidity to bail out the developers. So, Francis, uh, if uh, I have, you have, we all have a little bit of extra cash today, uh-huh. we hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are your thoughts on where we should be putting it? Well, I think right now, uh, because the interest rates are falling again, you should put your money uh, on on the safe bets, like uh, the REITs, the high yield REITs, like uh, Fortune REIT, uh, uh, or or a link rate eight two three two seven seven eight and seven seven eight I think mm. uh, because they uh, in the past three months uh, ever ever since the uh, uh, internet stocks uh, uh, go bust uh, the, these risks have been rising uh, they have risen something like fifteen percent the past three months and and I think the uh, um, uh, the uh, investors will go for safety rather than the, uh, high high return now. And you can you expect them to continue to rise? Yeah, is what yeah. I'm hearing. I think I think uh, like Langwood is now about forty dollars now, and it started at something like thirty five. So I think it will continue to go up maybe to the forty two dollar level. To the forty two dollar level. All right, yeah. Francis. Always interesting to hear okay. your tips. It's like you're the soothsayer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We'll be right back with our next guest, Alicia uh, Herrera, right after this. The weekend program Hong Kong Heritage looks at this city's history, traditions, culture, music, interesting people, religions, festivals, battles, trams, boats, automobiles and older forms of transport. It wasn't frowned upon much in those days. There was nothing wrong in taking a rickshaw. It gave employment to some people and they were mostly Jiu Chinese. So join me, Anna-Marie, as I tramp the streets on Hong Kong Heritage, Saturdays 7.45am, Sundays 6.15pm on Radio 3. Yeah, well, uneven stock indices and low bond yields in the U.S., Europe and Japan are pushing waves of investor cash into emerging markets all across the board from Brazil to South Africa. And uh, these, of course, are markets that suffered big losses as recently as this past winter. Government bond yields in the U.S. and Germany hit uh, 2014 lows last week in response to uh, the latest signs of soft Western growth. So here to join us to discuss more about the emerging markets is Alicia Garcia Herrero, the Chief Economist of Emerging Markets at BBVA. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning. So uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, Alicia, can you explain to our listeners sort of what was the big scare and why are investors coming back? Well, the big scare was all about the Fed uh, announcing, or even before announcing, actually just hinting at the fact that it would start tapering. Sorry, can, can I interject for just a moment? Do you have your phone there? I think I can hear, if you could just put it off, um, please. Yeah. I think it's already off. So it's it off? Somebody, yeah. Okay. So, sorry, you were saying? Um, so, um, basically, the sorry, just I was saying that I think it was all about tapering, mm-hmm. and it, it, it actually became worse than tapering. It was all about how hard it would be to for countries actually to come away from a very high debt that they had accumulated. And this is true across the board. Uh, the interesting thing is that it, it so happened that it was basically much more affected. I mean, some countries were more affected than others. Um, and this was sometimes more like a political issue, such as uh, Turkey, 
by all means, followed by those who had been um, already, you know, clearly identified by the market, such as Brazil. Um, and then, of course, China, because of its own slowing down. China's issue is not so much Fed tapering, but its own situation. Um, and in that regard, I must say that although we may see some signs of uh, improvement, as we heard from Francis before, this is really, again, engineered by the market. And I, I feel that it, it's, it's really um, something that won't, won't work for in the long run. It won't work in the long run? No, I don't think That's it will. interesting. Tell us why. Well, the main reason is that, you know, China's over-indebtedness, especially of the corporate sector, won't be helped by additional stimulus. We're seeing a mini stimulus on the fiscal side. And as Francis was pointing out, we may see some additional stimulus on the on the monetary side. Mm. And um, that's only going to help piling up more debt. And what we saw from the scare, uh, scary situation with emerging markets was exactly that what um, investors fear is to hide it in, in a way or another. Either flow, meaning current account deficits or mm -hmm. fiscal deficits, or stock, the, the stock of public debt or corporate debt. Um, and unfortunately, China is accumulating it all. Uh, of course, the exception is current account is still in surplus, although decreasing. Um, which will decrease even further with an aging population. So, so I believe that medium term, all of these stimulus policies won't work. Won't and, work. and for this next round on tapering, uh, China may be more affected than, than in the past. Now, what about some of the other emerging markets? I mean, investors have been sort of, you know, rushing a flood of money into places like India, Indonesia, and even Thailand seem to be relatively unaffected by the recent military coup. Yes, because we are in the right wave. I mean, Thailand was lucky enough that, you know, the, two, the coup happened when all of the markets were recovering. In, in the very same way, uh, Turkey was unlucky enough to have, you know, riots uh, in the streets mm. while we were having the announcement of the tapering. So in a way, you know, the, what markets are doing does have a huge impact on how markets perceive you as a single individual country. But, you know, if... if the truth is that if data is as good as Barry was saying, and, and let's see, I mean, what happens, and by any chance the U.S. Uh, moves rates before expected, and we're talking about third quarter 2015, so it, imagine they start earlier, um, and we know that they've already announced a pretty steep pace of adjustment. Um, I think all of these countries with its own their own issues politically or economically as it was mentioned in China but it is not the only one um, will certainly see scare again so I think the trend is is very nice and they are recovering from you know to previous levels but the question is you know when we'll have a new a new go um, towards outflows from emerging markets. Now, uh, Alicia, one of the things that um, you've mentioned is that some of the emerging markets are tackling excessive inequality, and this is uh, you know, because in, this is a critical ingredient for sustainable development in the emerging world. So, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, we've, we've write a report on inequality because there is kind of a very awkward situation now in the emerging world in the sense that we've seen poverty reduction across the board. Um, and we've seen growth across the board in the last 20 years, but 
in many, many places, uh, with the exception of Latin America, and only to a, to, to a minor degree, though, we've seen increasing inequality. So everybody basically has gone towards more inequality. Those who were very unequal, namely Latin America, have improved only slightly. But overall, the emerging world is more unequal than it was before. So, so we make the point that this might be unsustainable, especially once we see growth tapering off because of these outflows, expected outflows, and also because of the engines of growth being less there than they were before. So we think that all of these countries have to basically ste step up efforts to have, you know, policies, government policies to reduce income inequality before it's too late, before, before it's, it's too late. costly. Okay, Alicia, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time. That is Alicia Garcia Herrero, the Chief Economist of Emerging Markets at BBVA. Well, the time is now uh, 8.27 a.m. and we are joined by Jason Klenfeld, a news reporter uh, uh, from Bloomberg, Tokyo, to discuss Japan, uh, where a tradition of lifetime of Full employment is crumbling. Are you there, Jason? Yes, hello. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Hi. So, um, Jason, tell us about this. Uh, lifetime employment in Japan is crumbling and part-time positions have ballooned to create an underclass of 20 million temporary workers, including an increasing number of women, as I understand, who are paid less, however, for the same work. Um, that's right. You know, uh, we have a system here in Japan uh, of lifetime employment that is falling apart. And, and part of the reason for that is, strangely enough, that the, the legal protections for full-time work here are so stringent that companies have sought all of these different ways of hiring people outside of that, that system. Uh, you know, they have all sorts of different words for it. You know, they part-time, they call it autobite, they use the German word, or temporary work, or fixed contract work, anything not to hire uh, under the, tip, you know, the, the traditional terms of, of, of a job for life. Um, so companies are just looking to, to avoid risk. And so over the period of the last 20 years, as we've had this, this period of slow growth, uh, the numbers of people working outside the, the traditional lifetime employment system has just ballooned. So, you know, as you said, it's 20 million people uh, now, and roughly 70% of those people are women. Um, the jobs are, are paid less uh, for similar amounts of time and energy put in. Um, according to the, the Labor Department, I guess the, the numbers are like 38% less for a part-time job. And, and, and in a way, the word part-time is kind of a misnomer because, I mean, they're called part-time jobs, but that's just to distinguish it from, from, from lifetime employment. Um, they're called part-time jobs, but, but often, you know, we're talking about 40-hour-a-week jobs uh, and paid 38% less than, than equivalent um, equivalent work. Okay, thank you so much, Jason. Unfortunately, we're out of time. It's a very interesting topic, and it begs the question as whether this shakeup in employment policies will actually shift the nature of, uh, you know, work efficiency in Japan. I guess we'll watch and see. Um, the time is almost 8.30 a.m. Uh, the Nikkei is up point, uh, almost 1% to 15,055. Uh, the ASX is now down slightly to 5,000 
1,489 and Seoul's Kospi down slightly also to 1,996. Quick look at the weather forecast for today. A trough of low pressure is lingering over southern China. The associated unsettled weather is also affecting Guangdong. We'll have today mainly cloudy showers, sunny intervals during the day. It'll be hot with a maximum temperature of about 32 degrees. Uh, Right now, the temperature is 29 degrees and the relative humidity is 85%. This is the end of this morning's Money for Nothing and it's now time for the news with Samantha Butler. Scores of mainland activists and other dissidents continue to be rounded up by police a day ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square crackdown in Beijing. Radio Australia's Hui Fung Tae reports. More than 50 people, including lawyers, activists and scholars, have been affected by a growing campaign of intimidation to reduce any public discussion of the crackdown on Tiananmen Square. China-born Australian artist Guo Jian is the latest to join the list. The call for reform ended in tragedy two and a half decades ago after Chinese soldiers moved in. Security is very tight in Beijing because of the upcoming anniversary and recent violence at public spaces in the country. European leaders have been paying tribute to King Juan Carlos of Spain, who's abdicating after nearly 40 years on the throne. The leaders of Britain, France and Germany all stressed his role in securing Spain's transition to democracy after the dictatorship of General Franco. But thousands of protesters have taken to the streets of Madrid and other cities to demand a referendum on whether Spain should become a republic. The BBC's Tom Burridge reports from Madrid. King Juan Carlos's surprise announcement that he will abdicate in favour of his son comes after a difficult few years for the king. His youngest daughter has been implicated in a major corruption investigation and he was heavily criticised for hunting elephants in Botswana 